Welcome to the Run Around Iowa, the podcast that's dedicated to news and interviews with the athletes, coaches, and personalities who are making headlines in cross country, track and field, road running, trail running, and triathlon in the state of Iowa. And now, here is your host, Lance Ferguson. Hello, everyone. It's a fantastic Monday in Iowa. So much to get to on this podcast. We're just finishing off the Ironman 70.3 in Des Moines, which from all vantage points looks like a big success. Had a little bit of weather problems to start, but it ended up being a a great event. Uh, We just saw Carissa Schweizer of Urbandale, former Dowling Catholic runner, qualify for her first Olympics in the 5,000. I wanted to get that result in um, before taping this broad, uh, this uh, podcast. And, um, and the uh, Grandma's Marathon was back after a year, and uh, a few Iowans did very well, finished in the top 10. So a lot to get to. Um, but I wanted to start off this um, podcast with some news it kind of floated under the radar last week on Wednesday. Uh, Athletic Director of Iowa State, um, Jamie Pollard, announced that Director of Track and Field and Cross Country, uh, Martin Smith, would be uh, relieved of his duties and replaced by his loyal assistant, a uh, longtime assistant, Jeremy Sudbury. And um, it, it came out of nowhere. Um, I don't think anybody thought that this was going to happen. Um, Pollard said, I've decided that we needed new leadership in the programs going forward. Um, my personal observations over the last year convinced me that a change needs to be made. This is a program that had won um, a lot. Uh, four Big 12 championships, um, three in men's cross country, three in a row that got interrupted by Oklahoma State on a tiebreaker in March, and one in indoor track and field and uh, under Martin Smith. And they were a strong runner-up behind Powerhouse Texas at the recent Big 12 outdoor championships as well. So uh, you know, the women's program, also I looked this up, and they have dominated the Big 12 they uh, won their eighth cross-country championship in 10 years um, at the University of Kansas course uh, earlier this year. So the, so the women have done very well in cross-country. So the timing of this seems a little odd. Um, Iowa State's on a, tra- on a high trajectory. Their men's team has never been this ranked uh, as high as they were. They got up to seventh in the United States track and field and cross-country coaches association rankings. It, it, it just didn't make any sense. So why is this happening? I've got some, I got some theories on this, um, why, why Martin Smith is, is, um, is, is being ousted. Um, and, 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 and let's face it, he is being ousted. Um, he, just two years ago, he got a, a, a an extension um, through the 2024 season. So Iowa State's going to have to eat three years of his contract in making this move. Um, it, um, it, it doesn't seem like the timing is right, but here's some theories and some thoughts about why I think they're doing it. Um, Sudbury is, he's the guy who's been the master recruiter behind bringing these very successful Kenyans to Iowa. I think Jamie Pollard sees that. 
and he sees that they, the, this is kind of the way that it should be going. And um, I think he's pretty impressed with, with Sudbury and the way he's recruiting. He's uh, his, his recruiting has been outstanding, and I think um, uh, Jamie is seeing that through the lens of his son, who uh, junior Thomas Pollard runs on the team. He's got that inside outlook into the program. I think Thomas has probably given him a little more information than most athletic directors do into uh, programs, and I think I think the the intelligence that. Um, that uh, Jamie Pollard has gotten uh, from his son has indicated to him that Sudbury is is probably the guy that is doing a lot of the heavy lifting as far as the recruiting and maybe even the coaching now. Um, Sudbury, to me, um, he's the new age coach. Um, he's Since he was named interim leader of this program, He's been very active on social media. He's been tweeting up storm from the Kenyan trials, from the U.S. trials. He's been everywhere. And until then, he was pretty quiet. He was pretty muzzled, uh, other than through the official uh, uh, track and field Twitter account. On the other side of it, Martin Smith didn't want to have anything to do with social media. You could never find him on social media at all, and he was reluctant to do interviews. Uh, I think Sudbury uh, will be more... Um, in tune with doing that and being more active. And the athletes of today, I think, um, really um, want to be have their coaches on, on, on social media and be more active. So I think, I think that is going to help the program going forward um, with him being uh, reaching out to more students, uh, more student athletes as he's recruiting. But the biggest thing, I think, is when you look at the the reason that this is made is I think Jeremy Sudbury was was being looked at by a lot of Division One programs. Uh, a lot of teams were lo- were eyeing him, thinking that um, here's a guy who's been an assistant for several years, brought over with Martin Smith from Oklahoma. He's done his time. Uh, he's put together some some fantastic uh, distance running athletes. I think they were all. I think the uh, the wolves were banging down his door, and um, teams were looking to hire him. And I think Jamie Pollard took the proactive stance and said, "We're going to elevate him." And um, and Martin Smith is sixty nine years old. Um, he's been in coaching thirty five years, and um, and I think uh, uh, Jamie Pollard just decided that he was going to be proactive with this. Uh, the future was going to be Sudbury. Uh, I think he was probably groomed for this position, and it, it it just made sense to him that even though he had three years on his contract, that Sudbury was the guy to lead this program going forward, uh, whether it was going to be in uh, 2021 or 2024. So that's my theory on this, but let's get another opinion here. Joining me now to talk about the upheaval at Iowa State is someone who's very familiar with the program. She just finished up her eligibility with the Cyclones, Abby Caldwell. Uh, It's been a while since we've talked to you, just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. But you've been uh, so gracious to join the program. Uh, What was your thoughts when you first heard that uh, Martin Smith had been let go and that um, Jeremy Sudbury uh, was named interim uh, director? I personally was very, very shocked, um, to see coach Smith, um, 
leave. And I, um, I'm still on like the messages cause we're still finishing out the 2021 year. So I got the message from, mm. um, administration, um, right before it went out. And I think, I think a lot of people were pretty shocked to see it happen. Um, I know that coach Amy, I don't think saw it coming either. So it was, um, it really threw me off. Well, I think it threw everybody off because just two years ago, Jamie uh, Pollard gave him uh, an extension through 2024. Yeah. Um, so, so it wasn't like, um, you know, he was going anywhere apparently. Yeah. So I, I don't know the specifics. I don't know what happened or anything, but I mean, I'm sure like people, like obviously people will have their opinions about what happened, but I don't know anything specific, but I think Jeremy will do a good job. I think he'll do a really good job in the role, in the director role. Do you, do you see him as being groomed for this role? Do you, do you feel like that was always part of the plan? Um, I don't really know what the, I know, I feel like all coaches um, eventually want to get to be a director. So I think whether you're an assistant or an associate head coach, I think that your dream is to be like the head of a program. So I think that I, I think it's really good that he was learning from coach Smith. Um, I mean, he was like coach Smith's sidekick, you know, for many, many years. So I think that, he's learned the role through being with coach Smith for so long. Right. Right. Um, and, and, and coach Smith, had, I mean, they, the men had won the indoor uh, big 12 championship, never been done before a year ago. And they finished second outdoors um, this spring. So to me, it looked like the program was on an upward trajectory, not downward. So um, is that kind of the way you feel? That's why you're surprised. Yeah, I'm, Yes. I mean, he turned the men's program around. I remember when we came in, when I came in my freshman year, um, like the men's cross country team was not making nationals. They weren't winning big 12 titles or anything like that. And he, he's a good coach. He really uh, does a good job of developing teams. So he completely turned this program around. So it was, I think that's what is a little bit shocking to a lot of people is that we didn't, the men's team didn't have a bad year. They weren't going downhill. Like, um, they were pretty consistent. So I think that's what really like threw people off. Well, I mean, you do have an athletic director who, um, um, you know, did fire the men's basketball coach after one awful year. Um, is it possible that this could have come after an NCAA championships that, I mean, let's face it was not, the way it was supposed to go for Iowa State. I mean, Wesley Kiptu was supposed to be, you know, top three, um, if not winning the national championship. And there were other, um, other, I, I, I don't want to say failures, but other things that didn't go right that weekend. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I think that we all expected, you know, Wesley has been great all year and everything, you know, like I totally believed that he could win. But I also think that, the thing is, is like, we all know, I, I think that the athletic director has inside scoop because he's got a son that's on the team. Right. So he knows, yeah. like, I think that he knows that you're not gonna have a perfect race every single time you can win the regional easily and be tired 
you know, the two weeks later to try to double back, you know? So I think that like, yes, I do want to say maybe that's part of it, but I, it just seems, I, you, I don't, you, you think it's, you think it's more than one meet. Yes, I think so. Not, but I, I don't know just for not sure. The program criticism for the way uh, Wesley's races went. You, yeah, you I don't. Yeah, I think it's more than that. And I okay. think that, I mean, like, so in track, we have um, coaches based on event group and whatnot and what works best for you. And um, the athletic director knows who, I'm assuming he knows who coaches who on the team. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, like... And Jeremy run, run, works with the distance runners. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, if he was real, if that was really the reason, then I don't think he would have named Jeremy as the director because Jeremy coaches Wesley. Mm. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, uh, already since change and jeremy's been very active on um on, on social media he's he's been all over twitter is that something that's kind of required now for a head coach now to be to be on social media to you know to, i mean Jer- he's yeah he's jeremy yes jeremy is a great recruiter he's very personable and he gets people to iowa state he does a really good job with that and i think part of that is our generation, we always are on social media, right? So he's, by him being present on social media, tweeting, like giving out updates about the Olympic trials and all that yeah. stuff, um, it allows people to connect with him. And I think that'll be a shift in the director position. But I, I'm, in my opinion, it's needed, um, like nowadays. I mean, yeah. years ago, no, it wasn't, but... He, he does a really good job. Jeremy does a really good job with recruiting and getting people here. So that'll be good. And Martin Smith never wanted any part of that. I mean, he, he, he was very reluctant, I think, uh, is, is, is a good word to say to, to, you know, to work with the media. He just didn't really want to do that. that yeah. His focus. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think it was more just like let our um, – Results speak for themselves, you know. We don't need the glitzy yep. media and stuff like that. Okay, devil's advocate here. Um, <laughs> throw this out for you. Should Amy Rudolph have, have gotten consideration as the director? Oh, I'm a big Coach Amy fan. I, I love Coach Amy. I think she's a great coach. Um, I think, honestly, I... The biggest thing is I'm glad that Jeremy's the director because he has a relationship with Coach Amy, and I just wanted Coach Amy to stay here. Usually when we bring in a new director, they clean house, right? Right. So, um, it appears that he's going to kind of keep things mostly yeah. status quo. It's early in the days, but... Uh, yeah, and so I, I obviously think Coach Amy would be a great director. I think she'd be a great... Um, like face for the program and everything. But um, I'm right now, I'm just glad that she's staying here. She, she is amazing. She's an amazing coach. She's an amazing person. So I don't even, I haven't even thought about her being director. I was like, I, we just mm-hmm. need her to stay here, especially for like the girls that are here right now, you know, yeah. like 
Kaylee going through another coaching change for Kaylee would be tough. And, you know, there's a, we have a great group of, um, now juniors that, um, have, has had training with coach Amy for two years and going up into their upperclassmen years, you know, so I'm, they, they needed to keep, keep coach Amy here. (laughs) That's I'm obviously biased, but I think she's great. So. Yeah. Okay. And um, I think she'll, yeah. I think her and Jeremy will work really well together. I, I do think this is, I mean, I'm, re- I'm really sad about coach Smith. I, um, it, it's hard, you know, like I've been here for seven years with coach Smith as the director. And I think, right, right. It, it, did you, did you have much of a relationship with him? Or, or, or I did. You? Um, we're a pretty separated program, um, right, right. with like men and women, that's what I think. But I, I did have a relationship with Coach Smith. Um, I don't know if it's because I was here for so long or originally I was kind of under Coach Palmer and who is close with Coach Smith. And so, um, yeah, I did. I, would, I, had a, I had a good relationship with Coach Smith. Um, okay. He really um, – he demanded greatness. He demanded excellence. And that's what I grew up with. Um, with my family and everything, it was very similar. Um, but I respect that. I like that. And so it, it was sad for me, even though I, I'm glad that I, um, got to be in the Smith era, I guess, but, um, yeah, it was sad. And, but I think Jeremy's going to do great too. I think, I think Jeremy's really good, you know, and he, um, I think he's, he wants the, program to do well he wants to stay here he wants the program to be successful so i think i think jeremy oh, will wife. do great yeah his, his aunt, and, and his wife is on staff too so yeah uh, so, so they're very well ingrained here yes so i think i i do think um i think this will be a smooth the smoothest transition that could happen and i think it's gonna i think it's really good i just it's still sad for me to see coach smith go yeah, I hope he lands on his feet if he wants to continue coaching. Um, let, let's move over to something different. Um, Shelby Houlihan uh, was, was, of course, a huge topic in the news on the last week. Um, you've got a couple thoughts about it. Um, not too much, but just wanted to get your thoughts on, um, on Shelby's um, positive drug testing and, and suspension. Well... Yeah, I mean, um, I I don't know Shelby Houlihan personally or anything. I think it's sad, though, when um, – I mean, I'm from Iowa. She's from Iowa. I remember being in high school, seeing her um, at State in the Drake Relays my freshman year. I think she was a senior. And so it's always sad to see that. I mean, I obviously have no um, idea no of what – Yes, like I don't know what is – exactly going on or anything, but I like to believe that she's, um, a clean athlete and it, this was not, I, I don't, I don't want to see her gone for four years. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I, I think everybody in Iowa, uh, feels that way. Uh, have you been able to watch in, uh, the trials every night or? Yeah, I've been watching. I've actually been watching with some of our, some of my teammates, my old teammates. Now that I'm gone, but I guess they're old teammates. But yeah, I've been watching them, and it's been good to see Daniel. Daniel's been doing really well. Daniel Nixon. Yeah, yeah. He's so in the finals. Wow. 
yeah, I think that's tonight too. So he that'll be exciting. NCAAs. He couldn't make the NCAAs, but here he is in the finals of the 800. I Got know. A to go to the Olympics. I know. He's he's pretty gritty though. I'm I'm not very surprised. I think I think he'll do great. So. Well, I'm glad uh, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> it kind of kind of slipped my mind here with everything else going on. So yeah, there's uh, a lot of news in the track and field world. <laughs> So thanks so much for your time. Uh, I know you're busy. You're starting your first day at work. How was your move and, and uh, how's everything going out there in Colorado? Yeah, um, I'm still work in the process of moving. Um, it's It's been stressful, but we're getting through it. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for your time, Abby. And uh, Thank you. It's always difficult whenever you enter the workforce for the first time, but I'm pretty certain that Abby will do well out in Colorado in her new venture. Wish her well, and again, thank you to her for joining us, giving us the athlete's perspective of the coaching change. Now I'm going to move over to the Shelby Houlihan suspension because, quite frankly, it is a huge story that um, continues to float out there. Um, I've done 20-some podcasts so far um, in, since March, since I started this. And last week, my commentary on Shelby's um, suspension made it the number one podcast. I'm certain of that. Uh, a lot of people had uh, was, were interested in what I had to say. And, um, and it blew me away how, uh, how interested people were in that topic. And, and of course, it was very timely when I, when I put it out. Um, I also, I, I get a, a daily quiz called Brain Candy. It's, it's geared toward people in my generation. And um, every Sunday, typically, they run a, a quiz, a news quiz of the week, um, 10, 10 questions or so. Um, topics that are coming up in the world that were uh, big for that uh, for that week. Shelby Houlihan was one of them. Which athlete tested positive? And what did she? she it, the, the question was, what did she uh, digest that made her get a positive test? So it, it's it's huge internationally and nationally. If you remember, before the trial started, USATF was going to allow Shelby to compete in the 1500 and 5000 because they didn't want to uh, deny her um, the, the uh, ability to compete when there is an active appeal process. Um, and as CEO Max Siegel said perfectly, you can always resolve the outcome later, but you can't rerun a race. Well, once um, the World Anti-Doping Agency <laughs> stepped in and said, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, she's still suspended, then USATF backtracked and said, um, no, we're going to take her off the start list. To Shelby's credit, give her credit, she said all along, um, uh, once this controversy came up, that she was not going to compete. She was not going to deny the other athletes a chance when her uh, ability to get this overturned was very negligible at this point because she's got a long uh, process to appeal. And speaking of an appeal, why is it going to take weeks and maybe even months for the facts of this case to come out from the Athletics Integrity Unit? Why are they waiting so long to release this 
and um, because she can't do anything until this is released, and then she can appeal those facts to a Swiss tribunal. So she basically sits here in limbo, waiting for the AIU to get off their butts and do something. It shouldn't take this long for this um, case and this report to come out. No one, to me, has captured the essence of this um, anti-doping problem as much as Sally Jenkins of the Washington Post. Um, she wrote about Shelby um, after the uh, announcement of the positive test. Here's what some of what she said. There's always been a disturbing dark heart to the anti-doping movement with its over-concentration on purity and talk of people as either clean or dirty. It mixes shabby trailing science with over-righteousness and public denunciations. It's a crude theology and it has truly life-wrecking power. Um, it, uh, she also says that it's what began as a frightened and misguided attempt to control human chemistry with the founding of the World Anti-Doping Agency, Agency now has become a tribunal run by a few bishops with a philosophy of when in doubt, punish. Um, I did some research on um, some of the uh, U.S. anti-doping agency tests and uh, just in the first quarter alone, they did 429 tests on 320, uh, 312 track and field athletes just in the first quarter alone. Um, Shelby was tested um, during that time uh, three times. Um, she was among those people that were tested. And um, she's been tested by USADA actually 16 times in 2020 and nine times in 2021. They're all negative. So in summary, the World Anti-Doping Agency as well as USADA have to change the way they do their own rules. There's plenty of evidence out there that eating certain kinds of meat can produce low levels of anabolic steroids, and that includes nandrolone. So they have to make those tests that come back with a small trace. They have to basically put those as advisory uh, and have to retest the athlete and not automatically make that a positive test and an automatic ban. It's got to change. It's got uh, things have to uh, things have to uh, be different because I think an innocent athlete is being punished here. On now to happier times where Shelby's Bowerman Track Club teammate Carissa Schweizer of Urbandale punched her first ticket to the Olympics tonight with a second place finish in the 5,000 meter final at the U.S. Olympic Trials. Um, the former six-time NCAA champion at Missouri and former Dowling Catholic runner ran 15:28:11. She just lost a sprint to her teammate, her Bowerman teammate, Elise Cranny, as it came down to those two down the finish. But still, Carissa is moving on, and so congratulations to her. She's going to be competing in Tokyo. She qualified uh, for that final. There is a semifinal uh, in that race. She was in a pack of four uh, that qualified out of her heat. 
Um, she was runner up in that heat on Friday in the second heat. Uh, she ran 15.32.63, so she was about four seconds faster on Monday night. Uh, while it was good news for, uh, for Carissa, not so good for Jenny Simpson uh, in her bid to make another Olympic team. The Webster City native finished 10th in the 1500 final Monday night in 407.76. The face was really fast. Uh, Ellie Purrier, uh, St. Pierre, and Corey McGee, her New Balance teammates, ironically, took it out really fast in the 1500. And uh, Jenny just could not match it. So the former world champion in the 1500 meters uh, is denied. She was looking so good in the uh, in the earlier trials. In the first round, she got through by winning the first heat in 4:11:34, and then uh, in the second round, the semifinals, she looked uh, good again, finishing second in her heat. But the third time around, um, running three. Uh, races in four days uh, might have been too much for her. She's a class act. Uh, let's hope this isn't the end of her career here and she uh, won't re be retiring. As Abby Caldwell mentioned earlier in the podcast, it was her former teammate, Daniel Nixon, who was competing in the 800 final on Monday night after uh, getting through the first two rounds. As I put on Twitter, who would have ever guessed that he would have finished ahead of American record holder Donovan Brazier? But that's exactly what happened, as Nixon ran a personal best time of 145.56 to place 7th in the finals. It's not good enough to get him to Tokyo, but he did everything he could in that race. And that time, by the way, is 2nd best in Cyclone history, so great way for Nixon to go out. He had qualified for the finals um, by finishing 3rd in his heat on Saturday, um, running 146.21. He was barely edged by a new Olympian, Isaiah Jewett, um, who made the Olympics on Monday night. He was the third place finisher. And then uh, he qualified again on time on Friday, making it in that first round. Um, he, um, he was fifth in the heat of well, it was the second heat of the 800. He ran 146.15, but he uh, but he got in with that time. So a good uh, run through the trials for Daniel Nixon. Interested to see um, what he can do as a professional moving forward. Um, also on Monday, we had the start of the uh, men's 3,000 steeplechase, and former Iowa State runner Hillary Bohr easily advanced to the finals on Friday night by auto-qualifying with the number two time in the first heat, the Hoka One One runner ran 8.21.09. As I said, he was uh, second in that in his heat. Um, also in that heat, finishing ninth, was former Iowa Central runner Franklin Tanui of the U.S. Army team. He ran 8.37.94, but won't advance. Sunday night, the only distance events that were held was the first round of the women's 3,000 steeplechase, and it was Northern Iowa assistant coach Alexina Wilson who advanced on time. She was seventh in her heat in 936.80, but that time did hold up for the 12th best effort, and so she got in as 14 advanced to the finals on Thursday. Also um, competing, former Ballard of Huxley, Prep 
Abby Kohat Jackson. She was 10th in her heat in 952.84. She finished with the 19th best time out of 32, so very strong effort there in that race. And what a season um, for her senior season uh, at Minnesota. For Abby, she um, ended up winning a Big Ten championship indoors with their medley team. Then she was the Big Ten champion in the steeplechase in the outdoor season. And she was All-American at NCAAs at Hayward Field just a few days ago before the trials. So um, great way to end it for the former walk-on. Um, who um, had uh, also a brilliant career at, uh, at Ballard. So phenomenal uh, season outdoors uh, for Abby. Um, so that's um, kind of the way that all shook out. Um, by the way, Alexina Wilson, I want to mention, she's a former Mount Vernon Lisbon prep. So we'll see how she does on Thursday in the finals there. Um, I already mentioned Nixon ran Saturday in the semifinals. Uh, in those semifinals, it was uh, a disappointment for former Iowa All-American Eric Sawinski. Um, he's been uh, he's been climbing this hill, uh, pushing that boulder up the hill, you know, and it just keeps falling back on him. He um, he, he uh, missed another Olympic uh, uh, trials um, chance here. Um, he was eliminated in the semifinals after finishing sixth in his heat, um, which was heat one, and he ran 147.45. Give credit to him. He ran uh, in the lead for nearly 600 meters before he's passed off the curve, and he just could not keep up with a group that uh, was led by Donovan Brazier, who stunningly, of course, um, as I mentioned, did not make the Olympic team tonight. But a class act, uh, Eric Sawinski, tough to see. Hopefully he'll, um, he'll stay with it. Uh, he'll stay with professional running. So that was Friday, uh, Saturday, and then uh, off to Friday. Um, and we had the 10,000 final on Friday. And Baya Simbasa, former uh, Sioux City North and Iowa Central athlete, was right in the mix. He was right there. Um, going into the final lap, I think he was fourth or fifth, and he just got out kicked by guys like Woody Kincaid, the champion of the race, on that final lap. Um, it was it was a really phenomenal uh, finish to that 10,000. He finished seventh in 27.59.94. Uh, the winning time, Kincaid, was 27.53.62. Baya did say on social media that he's coming back for the 5,000, so look for his performance later on in the week. He'll be racing there. Um, I want to mention that 800 first round, um, there was also Jason Gomez of Iowa State, who was eighth uh, in a heat of the first round of the 800 and 155.73. And then Rashawn Rooms, um, Cyclone Senior, who did not qualify for NCAAs. He was seventh in heat four in 150.55. Neither one advanced to the second round out of that. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, Sawinski um, and Nixon both advanced out of those first rounds. Sawinski was fourth in his heat in heat two, uh, running 145-47. So that was definitely his best race of the two for Eric Sawinski. Um, 
And so that's the trials so far, distance races. We've still got the steeplechase finals coming up, 5,000 finals, um, and men's 1,500, which no, no uh, Iowans are in that. Um, uh, moving away from the United States, uh, the Kenyan Olympic trials were held this week, and uh, recent, uh, well, All-American uh, at the NCAA's, Festus Lagat of Iowa State, he was fifth in the final of the men's 800. So he just missed making the uh, Olympic team for Kenya. Really strong performance. I look for him to uh, continue with it. And um, I think four years down the road, if he keeps developing, I think he could make the uh, Olympic team and for sure some national teams for Kenya. So he was fifth in Nairobi on Saturday at the Kenyan uh, trials, the 800 final. Shifting gears now to the Ironman 70.3 Des Moines event on Sunday downtown. And it was uh, Holly Lawrence of Great Britain who won the women's championship in 2 hours, 53 minutes, and 46 seconds. The course, the bike course, was shortened basically in half uh, because of a three-hour delay uh, due to uh, really bad weather, uh, big thunderstorm that rolled in. So the uh, the bike got uh, basically halved, and it was Holly Lawrence who won the women's competition. She ended up uh, winning uh, by about a minute and 27 seconds. And the men's winner was Jason West. Um, he's an American living in Boulder, Colorado. He won by a minute and 22 seconds. Um, you can read uh, my professional article at uh, Des Moines Register Sports on their website. You can catch that if you want to read all about it. Um, I did get some audio from uh, the winners and also the Iowans who competed, the, 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 the pros who did well, and uh, Leslie Smith, former Iowa City native. Um, she was fifth in the women's pro race in 303.02. She's now living in Boulder, Colorado, but she had a big uh, group that was there to cheer her on, including her parents, and I believe she said her brother and sister, and they were all wearing uh, white t-shirts to, to, to support her. Um, Leslie um, charged uh, five spots past women in the half marathon when she ran 118.57. That was fourth best among the female pros. Yes, it, it was. I really wanted to get top five, and I got fifth. So, I mean, it was a really strong women's field, which I love. is great for the sport. So. It's really good for the sport. Yeah. Holly Lawrence, uh, when, when she's on her game. Oh, yeah, and she was on her game really, today, definitely. Is, is really tough to beat. Yeah, she was definitely on her game today, so. As I mentioned, the cycling course was cut in half in order to get the age groupers to all finish on time. I thought that might help Leslie Smith um, because her best discipline is the run, but she said uh, that's not quite the case this time. Well, again, I, I would say it generally helps me. Just if there are other good runners in the field, it helped them too. So kind of, I think it was pretty. It was a wash, and uh, just riding harder was rough, was tough. Um, you know, shorter, so everyone rode hard, harder, which takes a lot out of the legs too. So. I didn't realize it, but we had an, an adopted Iowan who also finished in the top 10, Jessica Smith, who moved from California to right in my backyard of Clive in 2019. She was in the women's pro race, and she finished 10th in 3:13:19. I got an email from her husband, Mark, 
uh, Smith, who said that um, she's now an Iowan uh, and um, moving um, here, uh, like I said, two years ago from California. So if you see uh, a female biker speeding past you on the roads in, 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 in the western suburbs, you'll know it might be her. So uh, a, a good top 10 finish for Jessica Smith. I'll have to add her to my list of athletes to watch. Uh, on the men's professional side, uh, Des, Moines, uh, Des Moines' TJ Tollickson finished 12th uh, in 249.36. He got definitely hurt by the shortened bike course because that is his best discipline, the bike. He's the Diamond Bikes owner uh, south of downtown in Des Moines. And um, he definitely dropped a bombshell after the race on me when I asked him how the race went. Yeah, it was kind of tough. Uh, this is actually my last professional race. Oh my God. Uh, so we're bookending the career you're, right here in Des Moines. You're, you're breaking news here. Yeah, uh, it wasn't, wasn't the race that I wanted. It wasn't the course that I wanted. It wasn't the start to the day that I wanted, but uh, you know, everyone had the same circumstances. Uh, I certainly had one of the faster bikes today, but you know, to be competitive uh, in a field like this, I need I need all, every mile of the bike that I can get, and uh, these guys just, are, these guys are getting younger. Right, it just didn't set up very well for me. You know, I was going to probably run the same whether I bike 10 miles or 56 miles, so uh, that wasn't much of an advantage for me. But uh, I gave it my best today and had a good time out there, uh, and uh, put a nice bookend on a long 17-year career as a professional athlete. TJ said originally he wasn't planning to make this his final race, but COVID-19 pandemic changed all of his plans. Uh, my initial plan was to race Hawaii uh, last year as my last race, and uh, there were no races last year. There was no Hawaii, and it just didn't seem fitting. And uh, obviously, I wanted to race Des Moines 2020 as well. Uh, so I said, I'll stick it out, race this race. And, uh, it means a lot to me. I've been working with the city and Ironman to bring this race here for several years. And I hope it's the start of a long relationship with the city of Des Moines. TJ finished with the second best bike time on Sunday of 58.29 for the course that was about 26 miles. Um, but he said that even though it was a great performance on the bike, it wasn't enough to lure him out of uh, retirement. He felt that it was time to go and devote more time to his business and family in the future. I, I love this sport. I love what I do. But uh, last year was very difficult for everybody to make a living as a professional athlete. And, uh, yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to, to keep racing. I've got a lot of other things that I'm passionate about that I need to put my time and focus into. And, uh I love racing, and I've done it for 17 years, but it's time to step aside and uh, let some of these younger guys step into the spotlight. Not long after I moved to Des Moines in 2004, I heard about a young pro triathlete who was rising through the ranks, and TJ definitely built off of his early wins in Iowa. Um, he uh, earned such big wins as Eagle Man 70.3 and Iron Man Lake Placid in 2011. And the race he calls his favorite win, a title at Iron Man Mont Tremblant in Canada in 2014 after he uh, suffered through some injuries. Um, 
uh, his impact on Central Iowa triathlon cannot be understated. As he said, he was a key figure in helping Ironman come to Des Moines. But more than that, he helped pave the way for a new generation of triathletes to follow in the professional triathlon, such as uh, the young guy that you're about to hear from. Um, they saw what he was doing and knew big things could be possible. He paved the way for these younger guys. Like he said, he's not going anywhere. He'll be in the, uh, in the triathlon community uh, going forward, but wish him the best of luck as he uh, ends his um, competitive triathlon career. Um, so, it was, uh, so as I said, he finished uh, 12th in his final race, and finishing 16th was Tyson Whelan, the young guy that I talked about. Tyson's a former Johnston High swimmer and runner um, who uh, moved up quite well on the 13.1-mile uh, half marathon. He passed nine, uh, nine other uh, competitors uh, on that run to finish 16th overall in 254.15. Uh, he had the 11th best uh, run time of 115.33, and um, like TJ, he had a big, uh, a big cheer squad along the course. Oh no, good day. On a normal day, that's a sub four hour uh, Ironman, which would be a PR for myself. I'm a 404 guy. I think I'm a sub four guy, so competition was good today. Okay, how do you feel racing at home? Oh man, I love it. You know, it, it really, I could feel the crowd. I mean, that's one of the reasons probably why, why my run was so good, uh, was just because I had Paper Tyson probably 90% of the run, so it, it was, it was I, great. I talked to your mom and grandpa. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, course, so. yeah no, I had I had the whole crew here, and I, I'm okay. really glad I did. Um, it's, and I'm, half Ironman is not easy, so you, you really want to have the support the whole way. I, Two Iowa residents finished in the top five of the women's age group competition. Elena Beachler, a former co-college runner who's now a professor and coach uh, of triathletes and runners at Loris College. She was third in that competition in 327.41. And then Dana Herrick, a former uh, run ablaze, Iowa and Hanson's Brooks professional runner. She's now living in Norwalk. She was fifth in 329.54. One last thing on the 70.3 event. Uh, there was uh, an, an interesting post on the uh, private Ironman 70.3 Facebook group about a woman who was riding the triathlon on a city-rented bike. You know, those, uh, those white bikes you see around town that have about three speeds on them. And, um, and it just so happens there was a woman that was riding on that. Uh, you can look on my Twitter account and see a video, a short video of her riding along really fast. And, and, and I did some research, and uh, one of her friends actually put that up on, the, uh, on that uh, Facebook page, that it was uh, Katie Mulhopt. Um, she's... Uh, she was a Tri-Racers of Iowa athlete. She's the one who uh, was riding the bike. I looked at her stats. She averaged 13.38 miles an hour going on that three-speed bike, um, and she finished uh, in five hours and 22 minutes and 38 seconds. This friend of hers um, 
uh, that uh, posted on the Facebook page said that she is a beast of an athlete. She's done multiple Ironman fulls, completed uh, 800 kilometer rides, 400 kilometer gravel uh, races, loves to take on challenges. So clearly this was right up her alley. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if she starts a trend here. But that's so cool that she actually rented a city bike just to do this uh, triathlon, uh, thinking out of the box there and and having some fun with. Them. And I'm gonna finish um, this rather lengthy podcast with the Grandma's Marathon that was held on Saturday. And you had several Iowans, uh, Iowa natives and uh, former collegians who did very well. Former Iowa State runner Tyler German, uh, he's now with the Minnesota Distance Elite. He finished fourth overall in the men's race. He ran 216.42. And then you had former Spirit Lake and Northwestern College athlete Will Norris, um, who was right behind him in fifth in 217.04. So great for them. That's um, I know it's we're, we're uh, not even close to the trials uh, for uh, Paris for the marathon, but uh, those both get them to the to the trials. Those both would have gotten them there, and um, they they weren't too far behind the finisher. The winning time was two thirteen oh four in that race. Um, in the women's competition, uh, twenty fourteen champion Pasca Myers acquitted herself very well. She was sixth in 236.47. Pasca is from Fort Dodge, and um, she was 743 behind the winner, Dakota Lindworm. She is also a Minnesota distance elite runner, and um, she's the first Minnesota native to win the event in something like 25 years, so it was, it was, it was a really uh, fantastic a win for her. She uh, dedicated it to her late mother who died of cancer about a year ago. So that's a, a fantastic win for the Minnesota Distance Elite Runner. She she competed in that uh, 10K, uh, that 10K Elite Race uh, earlier this spring here in Des Moines. Um, several other athletes did well. You had uh, Run Ablaze, Iowa athlete, and former Iowa Central runner Blake Whalen, uh, who finished 14th in 223.46. You had Warren Clarita of Iowa City, who was 45th among all the men uh, competitors in 236.13. And uh, Run Ablaze's Steve Freshel of Davenport was 61st, running 242.09. Those were the top men's marathoners. In the women's half marathon, or excuse me, the uh, Gary Bjorkland Half Marathon, which is held on the same day on Saturday. Runablaze's Devin Alba uh, of Bettendorf. He was fourth overall in that competition. That's a PR for him. Um, his previous reported best on his on his, on his page on the Runablaze page had been 109.04. Um, so he ran 107.41 on Saturday. So that's a PR of over a minute. The winning time in that race was Mo Herezi, ran it in 104.14. And then um, Devin's wife, Kelsey Alba, the night before at the William A. Irvin 5K, she was fourth um, in 20 minutes among the women's com- competitors, and both of them are from Bettendorf. So that is your lot from the races. And I'll have a lot more um, coming up next week with wrapping up 
the U.S. Olympic trials and other road races. But I will have a podcast later on this week. I hope you'll uh, listen to it. It will be former Valley High and Iowa runner Daniel Soto. Um, Daniel has agreed to um, come on the show. Excited to have him on. Um, We'll be talking about his career at Iowa um, and much, much more. So look for that later on this week. Until then, happy running, everyone.